I'm Jim Schwartz, Director of Research Agronomy and PFR here at Bex Hybrids. And today we want to spend a little bit of time talking about herbicides and controlling weeds in the different systems that we have available to us today. So with me today, I have Luke Schulte. Luke is a field agronomist for Bex in Ohio and a herbicide specialist. And Joe Bolte. Joe is a herbicide specialist. He's also a practical farm research technician out of our Effingham site. Joe has done tons of research for us around weed control herbicide systems so let's just dig right in i just want to spend some time today talking a little about a little bit about weed control luke i'll start with you in in ohio and eastern u.s what's the biggest issues growers are facing right now yeah so jim as we head into 2021 certainly in soybeans there's a lot of uncertainty you know uh will technologies like extend flex be available what is the status of the dicamba label which we don't know today so what will we be able to utilize and so guys are wrestling with how are we going to get and achieve good weed control uh with what they know today if they were to make a decision today and some of the foundational principles uh, like joe's helped us to understand through the through the studies there at effingham uh they they ring true in in any platform you know and and having a solid pre the easiest to control weed i often say is one that never emerges yep. and, and having a having multiple effective sites of action in that pre and and really retraining ourselves you know since 96 <laughs> myself included we we at times have uh, kind of just geared our mindset towards hey we'll 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 put down some sort of residual barrier but hey we'll we'll have the forgiveness to clean up whatever we miss in that post-merge application. And and so uh, the, it's a mind shift, in my opinion, that we need to be thinking about moving forward and and uh, you control more of our weeds uh, in the pre and never allowing them to emerge rather than total reliance on that post. Yeah, it, it's a cultural shift, right? Uh, the, the day of a, a court followed by a court with a, like you said, one SOA and a pre maybe, they're over. Yeah. So we do have to retrain ourselves. Joe, a, as you think about uh, pre, and we talk a lot about the powers in the pre, and I heard Luke use the word effective. Yeah. Um, what are keys to an effective pre-program in your mind? Yep. So the main thing is understanding what different groups, their strengths and weaknesses. So to keep it simple, the way I always kind of view it, um, if we have a water hemp issue, the group fives, the group 14s, the group 15s, those are very effective on water hemp. Um, group twos can be, but however, a lot of the populations over the widespread use in the 90s, there's a good chance it's probably resistant to that um, population. But our group twos are still, if you have large seeded broadleaves, the cockleburrs, the morning glories, the giant ragweed. So if we got, um, you know, giant ragweed, the group twos, the group fives, those are going to kind of be um, some of the products that we're going to lean on, as well as it's probably going to have that group 14 premix. So understanding those different groups and those strengths and weaknesses and select products um, that are basically for you the weeds that you face we don't want to just sit there and pick a product that say well it's got two or three numbers on the label I'm I'm good with that product uh, truly understand these different groups and picking products that are for the weeds you actually face is ultimately gonna help set you up to success because we got to view that as a blanket so that blanket of protections go eventually break um, so that's where that in-season residual protection comes in. It gives us another layer of protection. Well, like Luke said, the best way to control is one that's never emerged. When we get to that post-trip, we don't want it to be a rescue application. We want to clean up just a few escapes, and ultimately that's going to help keep our current technology effective for years to come if we're not doing rescue applications with it. You know, you bring up, Joe, um, use that post-application to uh, clean up escapes. 
Luke, I know you probably, as you have conversations with growers, you talk to them a lot about, you know, pick the highest yielding platform that works for you. Uh, I know we, we've talked a lot about, there's a university data that uh, covers the fact that you lose about two and a half percent yield for every leaf stage in the soybean plant that you wait to control weeds. From your perspective in Ohio, um, how do you help growers go through that decision of what to pick and what to select from both a, a herbicide trait platform and a herbicide program? Yeah, so some of that involves, uh, it gets complicated, but you know, the first question ultimately a lot of growers ask is how am I going to control weeds? That's where we've gotten to the stage where we're at. That's oftentimes one of the first one of the first questions rather than uh you know varieties or the selection of the actual trait so what can they apply where do we sit with labels and way i usually start out is kind of to joe's joe's uh conversation is having multiple effective sites of action that specifically target our weeds uh, i'm in ohio so we have a fair amount of water hemp not like joe but we have a lot of water hemp our state tree is giant ragweed <laughs> yep. like jim refers to uh they have very contrasting emergence patterns so you know being solely reliant on a pre to control water hemp that doesn't emerge you know till late may through august and putting a pre down in you know april a lot of times early may um probably not going to be super super effective but putting a residual layer down then to control giants cocklebur water hemp um but is is going to be effective more effective on those early emergers like giant ragweed lambs quarter but relying then on another follow-up trip, you know, three weeks, three and a half, four weeks after that first application, rather than what, what Roundup Ready has geared us all towards. Roundup Ready geared us towards, hey, wait till crop canopy, that way we don't have sunlight penetrating that, that crop, and hopefully we minimize emergence after that, that post-trip. Um, I, I try to gear guys towards thinking about timing that post-trip, no matter the technology, but concentrating on relying uh, on that post-trip uh, as a way to clean up things, but more so by the calendar rather than the crop stage. So, Joe, we've talked about, you know, the, the powers in the pre using multiple effective sites of action. You talked about an in-season residual um, in, in order to help fill when the holes appear in that pre-blanket, right? But I also heard Luke talk about cultural things. I heard him talk about shading. You've done a lot of work there at our Effingham PFR farm, what other cultural things it, it, we talk a lot about you know weed control may not have to necessarily or may not come in a jug in all forms right in the future what cultural things have you done work on and what have you found as it relates relates to weed control that doesn't involve use of a herbicide yep so i say one of the best ways to protect against weeds from merging is canopy closure like luke mentioned if we can reduce that light and it's going to be much harder for weeds to emerge later into season so one thing that we can do is 15 inch versus 30 inch rows where we've seen uh, some of the research that we've done with row with that we went from roughly about six plants per square foot of water hemp to four plants per square foot in our untreated checks just by reducing our water hemp or just by reducing our row spacing there from 30s to 15s. We've also looked at things like tillage. You know, if we think about 30 years ago, water hemp wasn't as big of a deal as what it is today. Well, what's different? Our tillage practices are different. So we need to think about soil conservation, those things. but 
vertical tillage does maybe promote a little bit of water hemp emergence was what we've seen out of it because we're getting better soil seed contact um, deeper tillage such as a, a chisel plow or we even went moldboard just showing where we had a preventative plant field did some moldboard tillage we were able to bury it all at seed even the larger seeded broadleafs um, like cockleburr and morning glory had a big reduction a big reduction with it we're not saying go moldboard every year we got to think about soil conservation but maybe if we had a preventative plant or we had a a field um, that maybe we had a large a lot of escapes that could be an option uh, do some deeper tillage to help bury some of those some of those weed seeds as well but it goes back to that power is in the pre because across those studies we looked at number of soas one versus three soas when we use three effective sites of action some of those other management decisions that we make weren't as impacted so we were able to get to canopy closure with 30 inch rows with three sites of action but we weren't with one side of action. So that goes back to that powers in the pre. So if we're using the power in the pre and integrating some of these cultural methods, it's gonna help take that selection pressure. And we've also looked at cover crops. Um, we've seen some promising things with cover crops on help reducing that selection pressure. Um, so we can continue to evaluate. We looked at some group 15 responses and seen that encapsulated acetylchlor with warrant and Roundup with the cover crop was very effective at reducing um, water hemp and at Effingham we have heavy heavy water hemp pressure so if we can be successful there uh, many of the fields that growers may have may not have quite that extreme a level of water hemp pressure. Can I add on to yeah, that please? Jim um, I think one thing that I think magnifies that and growers probably can relate to hopefully is is how much uh, you know I, I say often the biggest hay denny weed control program is shade is a growing competitive crop oftentimes guys are planting their corn end rows first right and they're planting their end rows first then following up within the field and and inevitably either row row shutoffs will shut off too early or they pick the planter up inadvertently six feet ahead at the end of the year what's left there weeds right mm -hmm. it got sprayed but yet there's four to six feet of gap there which is in my opinion a, a testament to uh how much canopy to joe's point can help and shade uh, can help with overall weed control. Kevin Bradley did a really neat study with population uh, as well, um, along with a chemistry company, FMC. Joe, you probably remember that. But uh, we, we talk a lot about uh, lower planting populations, don't we, Jim, to improve ROI, not necessarily higher yields, but to improve ROI with, with um, especially with early planting dates. But they actually did a study and they looked at how does um, – uh, population act impact it was specific to pigweed or water hemp population significantly reducing uh the population of emerged water hemp just by increasing population slightly so how um, much is slightly i believe it well they the increased population i believe is uh 130 to 160 so from yeah. 130,000 to 160,000 but they did reduce water hemp population that 35 40 percent range so it, it it was a significant impact to water hemp emergence with i would call it a more modest increase the population probably cheap weed control in the whole scheme right. of things so as we think about in-season residuals we talked about the powers in the pre using multiple effective soas luke from your perspective uh, give me your thoughts on in-season residuals do you have a favorite class that you like to use or do you have any tips for in-season residual usage yeah so the so the so the key to any in-season residual is you got to get it to the soil few of them have a lot of activity on emerge weeds so they have to get to the soil back to kind of that point uh, we made earlier timing that post strip if you're going to include an in-season residual 
it's really paramount. You look at that three, four week time period so that you're in that V2, V3 timeframe and then narrowing in on making sure you have products that are going to fit back to Joe's point, your weed species across the corn belt, water hemp and pigweed, lady merging weeds are becoming more and more uh, a challenging, you might say, but their, their, their delayed emergence pattern really lines up to the group 15s. All in all, they're, they're fairly crop safe. Um, as well. Now, if you're going to have a lot of, or, you know, your concern is, is giant ragweed or something, our state tree, mm-hmm. uh, you know, maybe, maybe putting in a, a an approved, uh, or I should say a labeled, uh, group two herbicide, something like that, like a, like a first rate or something like that to give us another residual layer. But the key is we got to get it to the soil because few of them have much act, you know, much activity. And then I'll go back to, sorry, Jim, kind of cut you off there, but I'll go back to the other thing Roundup Ready is train, some of us guys that are middle age, right, Jim? Middle age, but <laughs> is, is that I think it's trained us to believe any crop response to a herbicide has to be detrimental to yield or negative. Um, and, and quite fr- frankly, that's not always the case. And, and sometimes it has to be an accepted, you know, an accepted, um, you know, um, I guess uh, result to having successful weed control if we're going to sustain mm-hmm. you know, some of the herbicides we have to use today. Joe, how about your comments on an in-season residual? So for us being in, in water hemp, water hemp country, um, we rely heavily on group 15s. And, you, you know, like Luke said, they're relatively safe crop response. We sometimes maybe see more cosmetic, maybe some draw strings, some heart-shaped leaves when it gets cool and wet. But overall, they're a relatively safe, uh, safe to the crop. We don't see a whole lot of crop response. But I also like to use the point is, like Luke said, we have to get it to the soil surface. So that's where spraying by that 21 to 28 days after planting, we know we haven't got the canopy closure. So we know our pre is beginning a break. We want to get that group 15 out there before our pre breaks and make sure it gets activated because we need the moisture to get activated. And that maybe kind of um, influences my group 15 response is more about what's the rainfall like, how much rain's predicted because we need a time of rain to get that product activated and i think this year in 2020 um, we didn't have a whole lot of growth in may Uh, so that really put a lot of pressure on the pre so this would have been a prime example of where that in-season residuals go come into play this year because our may plant of beans never got the growth but our our pre-emerge is still sitting out there breaking down losing its effectiveness so i think since we had that slow growth we didn't get to that canopy closure for a really long time so i wouldn't be surprised this fall when we're cutting beans that there may be a few more escapes out there than what we're used to all going back to that may growth where we didn't have that canopy closure because we're so cool and wet um, and you also mentioned, Joe, some of your research around cover crops. There were differences in the group 15s, yeah. right? Give, give us, you might mention a few of the different group 15s. Yeah. So um, warrants and encapsulated acetochlor. So we really see that excel in a high biomass scenario. So for instance, a cover crop scenario, um, double crops, you know, if we're thinking double crops, we like to use our recommend warrant over the other group 15s just because we got a lot of biomass there that encapsulated acetochlor. Uh, if we compare out Outlook and Zidua, Outlook's going to take a little, um, it's going to take less water to get activated than Zidua, but typically Zidua maybe hangs 
things around a little bit longer, get a little bit longer activity. And then Dual's just kind of, I always like to say it's just Dual, right? It's an older product uh-huh. that we're all really familiar with. It's just like all the other Group 15s. They're going to give us small seeded broadleaf. The water, hemp, and grasses, like Luke mentioned, if we're dealing with large seeded broadleaves, we're going to have to think about putting something else in the tank for an in-season residual um, to help us out on the broadleaves because are the large seeded broadleaves because those group 15s are primarily they work well for water hemp control because water hemp's a small seed and they're they're going to do an excellent job on on grass so high residue scenarios yeah that that encapsulates seed cooler the outlook and zidua if i'm trying to make a decision there between the two i'm going to let let water um impact it what we've kind of done the last couple of years is we started using zidua in our in our pre uh, with some sort of premix because we get more moisture typically early on and then saving that outlook for in season when we maybe it's harder to catch a rain since it's we know mm-hmm. that it's going to take less rain and get activated then we switch to using the outlook in season but overall all the group 15s are mm-hmm. very effective on small seeded broadleaves and grasses Luke, so let's let's tackle the elephant in the room. You mentioned it early when I asked you about growers making decisions. So right now, uh, as we as we're recording today, we don't have a label for dicamba. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, it's, it's anticipated, uh, sure. but but we don't have a label. Uh, so let's 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 look at the four main systems: Extend, Extendflex, LLGT twenty seven, and Enlist E three. Um, when we talk about weed control, we talk about um, powers in the pre, in-season residuals, things like that. Uh, can we control weeds in all those systems given where we are today with label approvals and things like that? Does it require, you know, does it require extra care? How, how do you approach that when you have that conversation with a grower? Well, like like uh, Jim alluded to, we don't have a dicamba label. Um we and I am trying to remain optimistic that we'll be able to use that product because I, I think it's an extremely valuable tool, especially in a pre when it's safer type of situation. But we don't have it today. So how do we focus on? And, and the way I approach it is, 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 are you a two or are you a three pass system? Two pass system is an early burn down out front. In Ohio, we do a lot of two pass systems because by the time it gets fit in our clay pan soils, you know, it's planting time. We want to plant beans early and uh, you're making sure that that regardless of the technology that we're becoming i know we've already said it before but that we're making sure we're much more uh concentrated on controlling weeds before they ever emerge and 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 accepting maybe a little bit of level of crop response but making sure our residual chemistry is going to be effective regardless of the technology that we can utilize post you know if you think about three of those four platforms you just mentioned we're anticipating extend flex approval uh, hopefully fairly soon we'll have the ability to utilize Liberty. And, and Liberty is a tremendous tool. Um, Joe's seen some neat things over at Effingham. Uh, we have in Ohio as well. Liberty is a tremendous tool, but rely, over-reliance on Liberty, will, will, you know, I don't want to scare anybody, but reality is it, it, will, it, it could very easily become the next glyphosate. And that tolerance level, um, I anticipate, would build with, with uh, improper use and not conditioning water right. Um, would build very, very quickly. So the point you're, you're making there is it's important not to, as we keep talking about, we don't want that post strip to do the heavy lifting. We want to use it to control escapes. Thus, make sure you got powerful pre's and multiple effective SOAs, right? Yeah, and it, it's, I know that's not what, especially in today's economics, it's not what farmers maybe desire, mm-hmm. maybe spending a little more money in a pre and, and, and maybe an in-season residual. Or if you don't utilize uh, one of those two, you may have a third trip. 
Uh, I realize that you may you may have a, a late rescue trip. Uh, however, uh, our, our, our not to scare anyone, but but our our tools that we have available are, are fairly are becoming more limited. Even with more technologies being introduced, we're still fairly relying on some chemistries we've used for quite some time. So using those mm-hmm. in the proper way at at labeled rates um, and, and also small weed size, you know, uh, relying on on the. Uh, the pop can method as far as sizing weeds uh, generally leads to very good weed control, regardless of the technology. So, you know, you, where you're at, you've got water hemp thick as a hair on the dog's back, right? Yeah, yeah. And you've done a lot of work with a lot of these different chemistries. So, uh, and, and Luke brought up using Liberty properly uh, and the fact that we can use Liberty in the Enlist E3, the LLGT27, and the Extend Flex system if and when it receives approval. Um, I want you to Tell us a little bit about what you've learned as it relates to what's the best way. Because if you think about it, 60 to 65% of the acres out there were in an extend system last year. Growers probably didn't use much Liberty in that system, right? And so using Liberty in a post may be new for a lot of these folks. So how do they control weeds with Liberty? Yep. So the main thing with Liberty is coverage is king. It's a contact herbicide. So we're not go, it's not like a, a glyphosate where we can have that translocation of plant. We're only going to control, um, what's, what it comes in contact. So 20 GPA is key. Um, we've seen some significant differences when we looked at lower GPA. And I always make the comment, what's cheaper? five gallons of water or one acre of product. And yes, I know that creates more logistics, but ultimately, then I say, well, if you're paying more for five gallons of water, you may want to get a different water supply there. But (laughs) overall, that five gallons of water is going to be a lot cheaper than the one acre of product. And we see a huge difference, significant difference, just by increasing from 15 to 20 GPA. So Liberty, we need a spray at 20 GPA. Uh, Liberty, the way it works in the plant, we need sunlight. If we don't have sunlight, we're not going to get the efficacy out of out of that product. So we need a spray. We like to say banker hours, 2 p.m. applications, that heat of that day. <laughs> and also that AMS, that AMS at two to three pounds of AMS is going to make a big difference. I always say, well, the more AMS we have, the better weed control we're going to have. However, in hot, humid conditions, we can get a little bit more crop response the more AMS we have. Uh, but also looking at your, your spray droplets, if we think of a, a growth regulator where it needs to be at with the larger droplets, Liberty's on the other end of the spectrum. So we want to be either using uh, uh, flat fans or maybe some of the nozzles that you use for your fungicide applications that create the smaller droplets like the, the turbo twin jet, something along those lines that create that smaller droplet and then weed size. If we hack a spray less than four inches, we don't have that activity, that residual activity. So that's what we know if we need to spray weeds when they're less than four inches, we're probably making our application, our post trip a little bit earlier, or we're probably not getting to canopy closure. And that's why that in season residual with Liberty, that'll get us to canopy closure. We can control those weeds when they're small. Uh, but doing all those fine things to really help out, Liberty is a great, a great product. We can see it do excellent things with mare's tail giant ragweed, water hemp. But if we don't do all those proper steps correctly, we won't see that efficacy out of it. And we just, we don't want to put too much selection pressure on it. Like Luke said that um, this is a very effective tool and we need to do all those things we talked about at, at the beginning to help it out, take some of that selection pressure off. Yeah. Back to that AMS uh, piece, Joe, I thought you, you, you nailed that. that that's a 
that's a portion of the puzzle and to those management practices that we many of us have taken for granted. One thing we've looked at at Bex is is actually testing water for water hardness. You know, an AMS rate is heavily dependent on those bicarbonates and, and hard water elements that are within your water source. If you're sourcing water from a well, the likelihood it's considered hard to very hard is very probable. You know, guys that are sourcing water from rooftops, pretty well softened. So there's various sources, but much of the water is coming from a, a hard water mm-hmm. source. And that that changes your rate of AMS. And quite frankly, AMS, Liberty's a weak acid. So so the, the volume of AMS is highly indicative of your water hardness, but it's also going to highly dictate the level of efficacy that you have with Liberty. And, and so we oftentimes revert back to is liquid or dry the right the right mix it's different for everybody but i can tell you we've done some studies taking a lot of visual observations it's very difficult with water that's considered hard to get enough ammonium and sulfate for liberty to perform at its peak um, with a liquid ams it's just hard to keep that product soluble not that they're not good products it's just hard to keep that product soluble so it may be a little more user friendly but it's very difficult to Mm. achieve the same weak control uh you know with that type of management that's good feedback so joe i just want to walk through them again uh for guys never used liberty before it's it's um weed size yep spray them when they're little which is true for every herbicide right it's coverage so gallons how many 20 20 gallons time of day when your banker goes to work yeah 2 (laughs) p.m we love all you bankers um the nozzle so smaller droplets (laughs) right and luke ams and in your your you're saying dry well yeah or, or some sort of method to to keep that volume of ammonium and sulfate up there because uh depend it's it's heavily dependent on yep. your water source but most water sources I, i've tested whether it be well water or even pond water in this drier season we're experiencing is fed by you know aquifers and and fed by springs and quite frankly is is still pretty hard so yeah uh, weed size i'll comment on that jim one little comment it's important for any platform it's particularly important when you think about a contact herbicide, right? You got to kill every one of those growing points. And I think there's some research out there that's found an average water hemp is six to seven growing points in, in just a few inches of height. Uh, we got to kill every one of them. We can't rely on the translocation effect of a, a systemic herbicide like a like an Enlist, like a, a dicamba if we have that ability or, or even a glyphosate. So we got to kill every one of them. That's why weed size becomes, in my opinion, more critical to liberty performance for sure all right let, let's uh let's wrap this up this has been a great discussion um here's the bottom line joe i want to ask you where we sit today knowing exactly what we know today um let's assume uh that that extend flex soybeans get approved but let's let's where we sit from label approvals today dicamba's not okay okay yep can yep. i control weeds in all of these systems using the tools that are available today or not. Yep, yep. So if we think of early on, we, we have on a burn down scenarios, you, you have germoxone, metribuse, and some of those products. Sharpen's very effective on mare's tail in a burn down scenario. We get into the, and we want to do a pre, that power's in the pre, right? That's going to set us up for success. Those in-season residuals 
um, liberty. We, we know we can be very effective with the liberty. Uh, so we know that if we do all those steps properly, use those in-season residuals, spray one small, 20 GPA, two, three pounds AMS, right now is a selection. Um, then we can also look at things such as like liberty and glyphosate. Mm-hmm. Um, we've, we've had some good luck with that. Um, it kind of gives us a little bit broader spectrum weed control. Uh, however, we need to manage it just like a liberty application because if we let those weeds get too big or don't do those things right, we can get antagonism. If there's any time that you have weeds or grasses that start to get larger than four, six inches, we're going to probably want to look at making a separate application with our grass herbicide from our Liberty. If there's any time you're in doubt spraying Liberty and Clethodem together because of the weed size of the grass is too big, you should consider the same thing with Liberty and glyphosate, that you should make two separate applications if those uh, weeds become too big. But we have a lot of tools, uh, whether Liberty or Liberty and glyphosate, that's something we can do in Freedom Plus, E3s, um, Extend Flex pending approval. Um, we could make we could make liberty and glyphosate work or liberty alone um our liberty and collect to them so those could be our three post options with an in-season residual so you're comfortable then we can control weeds if we follow the the recommended practices to do it by the way um how many weed species in the midwest where we grow crops are resistant to glufosinate liberty today Zero. 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 to your point luke that's why it's so important to protect that that chemistry, right? Absolutely. All right. How about you? What um, given where we're at today, can we control weeds, Luke? Absolutely. What I it may take a, a mind shift. Back to your point earlier in the conversation, Jim. It, it's gonna it it may take a mind shift or uh, the willingness to maybe adapt to maybe front loading a, a little heavier uh, pre in terms of numbers of sites of action. Maybe layering in an in season residual, but absolutely we can. I often just tell growers. Focus on the germplasm that you believe is the highest yielding. I, I know we often want to revert how we're going to control weeds, and that is important. But focus on the germplasm that uh, that we have confidence for our soils, our situation, uh, that we can produce the highest yielding soybeans. Plant them early like we found in PFR, but but utilize some of those cultural practices and, and be at least as long as we have an open mind to maybe uh, change a little bit of our direction and how we've done things in the past. Can we keep weeds or excuse me can we keep fields clean in any of those platforms absolutely but we will become more reliant uh on on liberty with any of the platforms um if we don't have dicamba to utilize as heavily and and the nice thing about that liberty uh, glyphosate tank is you can spray it fence row to fence row you don't have to worry about buffers and things like that right It's, it's an it's an easy it's a fill the tank and go spray and control weeds so yeah All right, Luke, thank you very much. Luke Field Agronomist for Bex in Ohio. And Joe Bolte, Joe's a herbicide specialist for us, operates out of our Effingham PFR location. So I'll just wrap up and say, um, make when you're making your decisions about soybeans, buy on yield, right? Buy the highest yielding platform that works for your fields and your soils, okay? Buy for yield, control the weeds. We know that if you control those weeds before, before they get uh, big, you're going to save yield as well. So powers in the pre don't don't rely on that post to do a lot of the weed control, um, and, and go pick the platform that works for you. We can control weeds in all of them. Uh, I would encourage you. We're going to have a bunch of uh, weed control workshops here soon, both pre- prior to harvest and after harvest. We'll have a lot of uh, herbicide briefs, a lot of information that you heard today. We've got in print form. We'll actually have some. Uh, virtual herbicide insight day videos that uh, 
uh, Luke and Joe and Austin Scott. Austin could not be here today. Austin's our other herbicide specialist. We will also be releasing um, our herbicide guide. We are going to release a herbicide guide that will help growers understand how to control weeds in the current climate we're at today with the tools that are available to us um, to control weeds. So with that, Luke, any closing comments? No, just uh, I, we're here to help. Um, you know, I, I know we're a seed corn company, a seed, seed, I should say seed company, uh, but, uh, you know, with Joe's research that we've conducted, or he has conducted, I should say, and his team at, at Effingham, uh, we feel pretty comfortable that we can still control weeds in any platform, like Jim said. You select on performance, uh, but also, uh, you know, the, the openness to maybe change things how we've done in the past. I'm very confident uh, we can keep these platforms around and sustainable for a long time. Joe? Any yep. closing comments? Yep. Just remember the powers in the pre, the best way to control is one that never emerged and um, that we can be we can be successful today, even with the weed resistance that's currently out there. But we just have to protect our current tools in the toolbox and do everything possible not to overutilize or over select resistance on those current tools we still have. Perfect. That's a wrap for this podcast. Luke, Joe, thank you very much. Appreciate your time today. If you have any questions, reach out to your local Bex representative. We're happy to answer them. Look for the weed control workshops soon. Have a great day and a very safe harvest. <music>